Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Hey, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm Dave Meyer, your host, and we have an awesome show for you today. I'm going to be joined by Henry Washington, Jamil Damji, and James Daynard for a deep dive discussion on wholesaling. We cover what wholesaling is. We address the elephant in the room, which is, is wholesaling actually ethical? And we'll learn how, as an investor, you can best work with wholesalers. Then at the end, we got goaded into playing Investor Truth or Dare. It goes completely off the rails, but it was very fun and very funny. So definitely stick around to the end. I think you're going to learn a lot. You'll probably laugh a lot. Enjoy. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined today by Jamil Damji, Henry Washington, and James Daynard to talk about wholesaling. What's going on, everyone? Woo! What's up? I, can do it. I love how James is just flexing on all of us by just sitting there on his boat. It's like rocking slowly behind us. We're all in our offices. I'm sweating, but he just looks relaxed and happy. This is my new office. I'm going to go jump in afterwards. We're we're going to 82 degrees today, 82 on an island. Are you going to jump in Daner's dinghy? Uh, yeah, I got <laughs> I got to get Daner's dinghy. It needs the label for I got to get the name put on Daner's dinghy. Um but you know the name of the yacht's called the Fruits of Wholesale, right? That, that is. For fruit. everyone listening, just to add some context to this, this <laughs> James actually did just get a diggy, and his daughter wants to name it Daynard's Diggy, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what it's going to end up being. Now it has to be. It's memorialized in podcast history. 
All right. So for today's main topic, we're going to be talking about wholesaling, obviously, and we're going to just be badgering Jamil with questions. And But before we do that, I want to talk to you about two major data points that are actually coming out at the end of the July. And just for everyone listening, we are recording this in the middle of July, but on the 28th, for nerds like me, it is a big day for data to come out. We have two things coming out. We will have GDP for the second quarter, which will tell us whether or not we are officially in a recession. The technical definition of recession is two consecutive quarters of GDP declines. We had a decline in the first quarter. So if it's down again in the next quarter, we will be technically in a recession. The net other is the Fed will be announcing their next interest rate hike. So I just want to go around quickly and force you guys to make a guess to yes or no recession and how big of a hike the Fed will implement on the 28th. And we will find out quickly the day after all this, whether or not you are right or wrong. So Jamil, you're in the hot seat today, so I'm going to make you go first again. I think we are in a recession. I think that's what we're going to find out. Uh, with Q2 data. And then also, I think the Fed's going to have to do something with the CPI of what we just saw. 9.1%. Are you kidding me? They're going to go up a point. A whole point. <laughs> yeah. Big dog. Wow. That's what they're saying. Wow. Yeah. No, I was going to go with, um, uh, yes, we're in a recession. Um, I think that'll that'll come out. And, uh, you know, I was I was three quarters of a point to half a point. Whole point. That's, that's aggressive. So I, I'll go with three quarters. James, I'm with Henry. I think, uh, well, a, I, both of you guys are, I think, are nailed it. Uh, we're we're in a recession for sure. Um, I don't think it's gonna be that bad, like, but yeah, we're definitely in it. And three quarters of a point. It's, it, it, for what I understand, it's just been three quarter point hikes until inflation starts slowing down. Hopefully, it is not a point because that's gonna get pretty drastic. Good news is a lot of this is already baked into the rates, so it won't be that much on the actual rate. I'm with all of you. I think we're almost certainly in a recession and. I also think it won't be that bad. Like a lot of the impacts that usually come with a recession, like a declining stock market or asset prices shifting, we're already seeing that. So it's not like if we're officially in a recession, all of a sudden things are going to get significantly worse. Investors already know that this has been coming for a while. And for interest rates, I'm going to go 0.75 basis points, but I guess we'll see. And Honestly, I'm curious if these interest rate hikes will even bring down inflation because they only really impact the demand side of the inflation problem. They can't fix the supply side shock. They already printed the money, not pulling it out. So uh, I'm curious, you know, they're going to keep doing it, but we'll see what happens. All right. So tune into that. Uh, oh, I should mention, I'm also going to be doing uh, an episode uh, next week about recessions and some of the historical data about what happens to housing markets in a recession. So make sure to tune into that. All right. So we are going to move into our main topic for today, which is wholesaling. But first, let's take a quick break. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right. Today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We are going to do a deep dive into the fundamentals and basics of one of the most common and sometimes controversial real estate investing strategies, which is wholesaling. And Jamil is an expert wholesale, a self-described wholesale genie. And so basically, Henry, James, and I are going to pepper him with questions, and hopefully he'll help us understand what the truth is behind wholesaling. So Jamil, could you just get us started and explain what wholesaling is in the first place? Absolutely. So first, I just want to say every industry has a wholesale step-up market, right? If you look at hamburgers, you look at McDonald's, you see, you don't start with a Big Mac, you, it starts at a cow and then, you know, the cow gets butchered and then processed and transported and then uh, processed again and packaged and, and reprocessed and every step that goes along the market, the price of this of the beef increases. That's business. And wholesaling essentially is the art of selling potential. We are adding value because we see a potential in a product, right? So for housing, you see you've got these terrible houses, these vacant properties, these distressed properties that are in original condition and need a tremendous amount of work. Well, there's potential there and investors can see the potential. Wholesaling is the art of controlling the asset and selling a portion of that potential 
so somebody else can realize it. You take your fee, move on to the next. So can you just put some numbers behind that? Give us an example, like how it works logistically. Logistically, say you buy a house for, I'm going to use just real flat numbers here. You buy a house that is in distress condition for $100,000. And you notice, or you look at the comps in the, pro, in the area and you see, wow, if I really fix this house up nice, you might be able to sell it for 210 or 225. But a lot of investment, a lot of work is going to need to be invested in order to get this property from this position to that position. So the wholesaler comes along and they notice that. They, they see the opportunity. They, they look at the house and they say, wow, in its current condition right now, I think cash investors at the most would be able to pay $110,000 for this property in order to make it worthwhile for them to invest in it so that they could eventually put it back on the retail market at two hundred dollars to say $220,000. So I'm going to go and control that asset and I'm going to put it under contract for a number below $110,000 so that I can make some money. Now, whatever that fee is, whatever you're going to make is, is tantamount to how good of a negotiator you are and, and the ethics that you're bringing into the conversation. So when you put it this way, it sounds like a great value add. What is the controversy about wholesaling? Well, I think I'm going to play the contrarian here. And I think that the controversy with wholesaling and the reason why people hate wholesalers is they hate us because they ain't us. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm, 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 I'm going to just call it out because I'll, I'll look at it. And every time I've had a conversation with somebody who really aggressively disliked a wholesaler, it's because they, they, they saw what the wholesaler was able to do. They saw what the wholesaler was able to accomplish. No rehabber was ever mad at the wholesaler till they saw the wholesale fee. Here's the deal. You're at the closing table, you're signing the documents, and you're about to close on a property that you know you can make money on, and then you see a $25,000 or a $30,000 assignment fee, and you feel like you got gut punched. Well, you weren't gut punched when you agreed to buy the property for the numbers that you bought it at. There was no problem until you saw what somebody else was making. And so, again, I think that when you're looking at it from those perspectives, the reason why people are upset, the reason why real estate agents are mad is because that property didn't become a listing. That property sold off market. Somebody else was able to solve the problem for the seller. Somebody else connected the dots to the buyer. And so that's the problem that I think happens is that people are looking at what's going on in this space and they don't like it because they aren't doing it. Now, that's not to say that there isn't unscrupulous activity, that there isn't things that people could be doing better. And I want to bring that to light because, of course, nobody in business is in business to rip people off. And when you see shady characters and you see bad things going on, the right thing to do is to put light on it, call it out and make sure that people evolve and do things better. Have wholesalers done things the wrong way? Absolutely. Have they gone off and misrepresented value to somebody? Yes. But again, remember, we're in business and the, the object of business is to make money. And as long as I'm working with people that are of sound mind, sound body and are there to make a decision for themselves, then it's my job to get a good price on a house. It's my job to make money for my company. It's my job to feed the people that are in my office all day waiting for Jamil or waiting for the acquisitions manager to go out and do their work. So again, I think we've got to re address this whole narrative of the wholesaler, their value that they add to the marketplace and why people are truly upset of what's going on. Because I'll tell you this as well. I've seen shady realtors. 
I've seen shady mortgage brokers, but we don't tar and feather an industry because of a few bad actors. We understand that there's a tremendous amount of value that these people bring to the marketplace, and the same goes for wholesaling. You know, wholesaling is kind of like this redheaded stepchild of real estate. It's because it, it doesn't really fit in the same box a lot of times is, you know, real estate brokers, they're the biggest group of professionals selling real estate. They also have a lot of uh, lobby dollars and they also have very standardized fees that are very normal across the whole nation. Whereas in wholesaling, you know, people get confused because they charge not a standardized fees. It's based on a margin. But what people always need to remember, including real estate brokers, and this is the pe- brokers get really annoyed. And I wear both hats. I have a, I'm a broker and a wholesaler. But the reason is they don't understand each other because they don't actually sell the same thing. Real estate brokers sell houses. Wholesalers sell contracts. It's commercial paper. So it's a completely different, even though you're selling an asset, it's still different because you're selling an investment as a wholesaler, whereas as a broker, you're, you're selling housing and you're getting paid a commission to sell that housing. But the, I think the, the biggest reason that people ethically don't like wholesaling is because, A, you nailed it, Jamil. It's, it's hate us because you ain't us because they don't understand it. It doesn't fit in their box they, because they don't, and they lose deals because of whatever their pitching didn't work. But it's also because they just don't get the business all the way through. It's you're when you're you're selling contracts, you're selling paper. It's no different than you know assigning a note or signing any kind of interest in an investment at that point. Um, and, and I think as it's grown, people just understand it less, less, and less. And as there was less inventory in the market, people really got annoyed with wholesalers. But as the inventory increases, I think they're just going to be kind of a part of the normal part of the market. Now, they're going to be a good thing, a healthy thing for the market to absorb different type of inventory. Yeah, man. You know, I I agree with you guys uh, for the most part. Where I disagree is the the hate us because they ain't us. And I think that, sure, there are some people who have absolutely seen a wholesale fee and uh, felt some type of way about that. I recently sold a property, a package deal um, to a guy um, that was on two separate plots and he really only wanted one of the plots. And so he ended up doing a wholesale on one of the other plots and I saw he made about 40 grand. And when I saw that he made that 40 grand, I went, man, I didn't give him a high enough number. And then I moved on, right? Because at the end of the day, I sold that property for a reason. And I sold it for the price that I wanted to sell it for. And I was happy when I got my got my accepted offer on that property. And so me seeing that he made 40 grand, all it did was make me go, eh, I should have did a little more due diligence and raised my price. Yeah, but you're a very mature person to say that. Because I've been in deals, Henry, where I've made money. I bought from another wholesaler. Then I sold to another rehabber because I saw an opportunity for there to be more potential extracted from there for an, and still have somebody make money on the deal. Right. So I committed to an opportunity from a wholesaler. So I committed to buying it. If I wasn't able to wholesale it, I was going to close on it regardless. But then I was able to sell the contract and bada bing, bada boom, I got some money right now. At the end of the day, that wholesaler was so mad at me. He was so upset because he, for whatever reason, was offended, offended that I saw what he left on the table. Again, it's a maturity thing. And I think you come you come at this from very different point of view henry with all of the experience that you bring to the table and just the kind of guy you are you're not looking at somebody else's plate you know but i i think human nature 
is what it is. And and people look at others' success and you have an opportunity to champion it or you got an opportunity to feel in, feel a way about it. And I think that seven out of 10 people feel a way instead of champion. I mean, I, I'm, I, I totally get it, right? Like if, if I got time to count somebody else's pockets, mine better be full, right? And so like, <laughs> and, and so people, <laughs> people better think twice about that. But look, um, I think where, well, I'll speak for myself, where I struggle with wholesalers isn't the fact that they make money. It's the fact that a lot of the times they're sold this pitch on this is an easy way to make money. And then they get into the game without properly educating themselves. And then they put themselves in tough situations by putting properties under contract for too much money. And then they inflate the numbers and then they end up backing out of deals. And what that does is it doesn't hurt them because they backed out. And that's why they got, that's what was attractive about this strategy for them is they felt like there was limited risk to them. But what they did hurt was they hurt that person who has a tough situation that they were trying to alleviate by selling that property. Because while that property was under contract with this wholesaler, they technically couldn't go out and try to sell this property any other way. And a lot of these wholesalers are telling these buyers that they are going to buy the property Right. And then they pay too much, can't get someone to buy it back out of those contracts. And now someone who had a problem has even a bigger problem because now they've lost a lot of that time. And so it's 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 not that I think where wholesaling gets its bad name is that too many people call themselves wholesalers when they're not wholesalers. They haven't properly educated themselves on being wholesalers. And then they started a wholesale business, but they're not running a wholesale business. They're just trying to make a quick buck without doing their proper due diligence and without really figuring out how to make this a business, how to build the network of people I need in my corner in order to do this properly, in order to know that when I tell a seller, we're going to get this deal done for this price that you know good and darn well it's going to get done for that price. And I th- I mean, you see wholesalers sometimes, again, calling themselves wholesalers, and then they just grab something off Zillow or off the MLS and then try to market that as a deal. And can you wholesale a deal on the MLS? Sometimes, but it's pretty rare, right? And there's usually a, an agreement between the agent and the wholesaler because a wholesaler typically has a network of people the agent doesn't have. But just to randomly grab something, call it a deal, and, and, and put some people in tough spots, I think, is where wholesalers and gets a lot of its bad name. And so I know, uh, you know, I hope that we can talk a little bit about like, how do you approach the business of wholesaling and then approach it in a way where you can be certain that when you tell a seller, this is what you're going to get, that you know, that's what they're going to get, regardless of if you or somebody else closes on it. That's excellent. That's an excellent observation, Henry. And I think that you nailed it, right? That's, that is a very, very, huge issue in the entire business model because again the barrier of entry is so low there's no licensing required people lie and say that you don't need any money that's not true people if you're going to wholesale and you're going to do it correctly you need to execute a contract and in order for you to have a ratified contract it very likely is going to need earnest deposit that earnest money could be anywhere from 10 to ten thousand dollars so you do actually need some money right so that's not let's not buy into these myths But again, what Henry's talking about is people getting in and forgetting the fundamental thing that I said in the beginning that what wholesaling is, is selling potential. If you don't have potential in your hand, if you don't have a deal, there's no wholesale opportunity. That's it. 
right? So again, you begin your wholesale journey by understanding value. That's why at least for me, the thing that I did first when I got into the business was not get into the business. I got into the understanding of how to spot value. How do I see what an opportunity is? Because I know as long as I can get that piece down, as long as I can figure out where there's a potential deal, I'm going to be able to get into control because I'm going to have the opportunity. I'm going to have the ball, right? And so I think we need to begin there. I think that if you're looking at this, listening to us or thinking about getting into real estate investing and wholesaling is the place that you begin to start because you know that it has the potential to give you large fees. It has the potential to turn you into a buy and hold investor or to take you down the path of fixing and flipping because wholesale is the place a lot of folks start. If that's where you are, then listen to this and listen to it and tattoo this on you if you need to. Start by not starting and doing a deal. Start by learning how to comp, learn how to underwrite, learn how to spot potential. Once you get that piece down, then the next thing Henry said was find a network of people, squad up, go out there. And before you make a representation to a seller that you're actually a buyer, that you've got the liquid funds to perform on a deal, go get yourself some backing. Make that statement true. Actually have a backstop of funds that will allow you to perform on your deal, whether that be bring your buyer, whether that be connect with a Keegley franchise or work with Henry or James or somebody else that you know can pull the trigger that understands what they're looking at and, and, and can perform, you will become the most valuable player on the team if you figure those two pieces out. That's awesome advice, Jamel and Henry. Thank you for bringing up those points because I do think there are some legitimate concerns that people have about working with wholesalers, but what Jamil said is true. Like there are bad actors in almost every part of real estate and there are bad actors in almost every industry out there. And as an investor, you need to make sure that you're working with reputable people. And if you want to become a wholesaler, sure hope that you want to be a reputable and ethical one at the same time. Because our show on the market is all about current events, Jamil, is right now a good time to get into wholesaling and why or why not? I believe it's always a good time to get into wholesaling because the beauty of wholesale is that you really get laser focused on what the marketplace wants and how you can fill the order, right? So because I'm wholesaling and I, I can see where buyer mentality is right now, where buyers are pulling the trigger, where they're not pulling the trigger, I, I can see all that data. I know where it's heading. And because I know where it's heading, I know where I need to be in my numbers. And so the beauty of wholesale is you can make money on the ride up, you can make money at the top, and you can make money on the ride down. And right now we're seeing this shift. We're seeing fix and flippers look at their potential next flip and say, I've got to bake in 10%. I got to, I got to make sure that if the market corrects at all, that I'm not going to just do this for practice. I'm still going to be able to pay the electricity bill and, and keep things moving along in my life. And so again, wholesaling is beautiful because you're not really putting yourself out in that extensive amount of risk because you're, you, again, you're not typically holding a lot of property. As a wholesaler, I sell my contracts. I'm not, I'm not, I don't own a lot of stuff. And anything that I'm closing, I'm still, even if I'm gonna take a loss on it, I'm still selling it. Right. So I'm not 
ever really exposing myself to that much time in the market. That's why I believe wholesaling is such a beautiful business model because again, you're in and out of transactions fast. You're trading, right? You're trading, you're not holding, you're not gaming, you're not timing, you're trading. And as long as you understand how to seek potential, how to seek opportunity, and you can trade anywhere on the cycle that you want. We started our wholesale business officially in 2008, right? When the market was sliding at, I mean, we uh, we, we worked for a company, we started our own in 2007, eight, and literally the month that we opened our business doors, subprime mortgages blew up, the market went into a free fall. And, and the only way that we made it by was a flipping, barely get by on those, but also wholesaling out opportunities. And you can still wholesale even like right now, the market's still really healthy. It's a little different. Investors' appetites are changing. But we were wholesaling when things were dropping at 10% a month. It was a very quick trade deal, but it was very key for us to build that business and to really learn in all types of markets because it allowed us to collect fees without putting out a ton of different types of capital. And especially back then, there was such limited money out there. We didn't have a whole lot of it, so it was allowing us to get deals done. But the beautiful thing about wholesaling is it's a way to get paid as you're learning. It's like getting paid for your own college, right? Wholesaling is this, You it allows you, when I started, I was 19, or 21, had no idea about real estate, but I gotta learn as I was starting to make money. I gotta learn how to sell, how to cold call, how to talk to people. I then learned how to underwrite properties. Like what is a comp, what is a value? Because we can go into these deep things of like, oh, we gotta learn how to comp. We gotta learn how to do that analysis. That takes time and experience and wholesaling allows you to learn that without losing a bunch of money or putting a bunch of money at the same time. But it teaches you all the core fundamentals to grow as an investor. If I didn't start wholesaling when I was brand new, I don't know if I'd still be in real estate today. It allowed me to team up with the right people, sell to the right people, uh, right type of investors, learn their processes, then implement their processes into my daily processes, and it really grows an investor. I would have probably never been flipping homes or buying rental properties if I didn't start wholesaling in the very beginning because it gave me the capital and the, the knowledge to learn how to do all those things. And the more you learn, the more you perfect your craft. Like what Jamil just said is, as the market's sliding down or as the, the market's shifting, he knows what his buyers want. He knows what the margins need to be so he can get ahead of it during those things. So the more you learn during wholesale learning, the more you team up with people, that's how you learn the core basics. And that's why I'm sharp as an investor is those core principles that you learn as wholesaling, understanding margins, understanding rehabs, understanding investor demand and what they'll actually buy and not buy at the time. And then it helps you set your own buy box and it really does help you protect yourself as an investor all the way through. It's funny because a lot of people look at wholesaling as like the new way to like, oh, it's for new people in real estate. It's a way to train you to the best of every on everything. You can be a ninja going forward because you got that crash course in wholesaling as long as you take the steps. No one told me how to do it. I had to research it myself and learn those things and communicate with people. But it is the best college you can get for real estate. That's a that's a phenomenal point. Um, I, I, I totally agree. And to go back to, to Dave's original question, like, is this a good time? I agree with Jamil. It's always a good time. Real estate is cyclical. So we're always going to have ups and downs. And just like any investment vehicle, there's ways to make money going both directions. With this strategy specifically, and then the market that we're currently in, real estate values are 
still fairly high. We still have supply and demand in our favor as investors. And so there are some markets where where values are starting to come down a little bit. We're seeing property stay on the market a little bit longer, but we are seeing more opportunities to buy properties at a discount because of the financial landscape, because we're in this looming recession. And when financial times are difficult, that creates more difficult situations for people where they might look to sell a property at a discount to create cash, to go do something else, to solve some other problem that they have. And so, yes, even if prices come down, That shouldn't scare you away as somebody who's interested in potentially wholesaling because that means there's more situations and more situations means you can potentially offer less money than you would in a higher market. And so like what I'm seeing in my personal business is, yes, we might not be able to sell for as much as we could sell for six months ago. But I can also buy for less than I could buy for six months ago. And so my margins are still there, right? It's the same margins. It's close to the same margins. And so it's the same thing with wholesaling. You can, you'll can you be getting properties cheaper and maybe not wholesaling them for as much. Um, but the deals are still out there. And it's about what service are you providing to the people you're contracting with and what service are you providing to the people you're assigning those contracts to. Your job is to be a problem solver for both your sellers and your buyers. So if you get really good at understanding and like also if the market does shift and prices do come down, there's always going to be buyers. Somebody is still going to be swooping up properties, right? Your job as a wholesaler then is to go figure out who those people are what they like, and then you need to go figure out how to find the people that are willing to sell you those things so that you can bridge that gap between the two to make your money. There's always a way to make money. James and Henry, I know both of you wholesale in addition to flipping houses and buy and hold. How do you make the decision about which properties you are going to work on yourself by either holding onto them or flipping them? And which ones do you decide to wholesale? Because as an investor who talks to wholesalers, I wonder that sometimes, like, am I just getting the dregs of what (laughs) Henry and James don't want? Like, is this the backwash of all the deals that they come across? It's nothing long with a little backwash. (laughs) (laughs) Says the guy on the yacht. Yes, it is the backwash. (laughs) That's the name of your boat. Yeah, backwash. That that, that is the new name. Uh, Oh, that's a good name. That's a great question. And honestly, I think it's one of the most detrimental questions to investors because they get this paranoid state in in their mind of like, oh, you're passing on the deals you don't want. We buy I buy property based on resources and location. What I buy in, in every investor should have their own buy box, their own set of requirements that they're buying on. And to be honest, it should be pretty tight. Like I don't go buy every different types of fix and flip property because as I build my business, I have different types of contractors. I have different types of capital, different types of teams that are running things to where my cost per deal might be more. And so I'm gonna look at different types of deals than other investors. And you know, all four of us would probably buy a different fix and flip right now today if we had to pick our type of deal. 
they're going to be a different thing. That's what goes out of our company or when we're passing on a deal, not the margin on a deal. Majority of the stuff that I buy, no one wants anyways. It's just complex. It's tough. It requires a lot of capital. It requires a lot of time. We like it because we get the absolute best margins only because there's less competition, not because we're stealing the property over there. We go where the competition's not uh, because we can get better margins that way. But that's not leftover deals from any type of wholesaler. That's just passing an opportunity that doesn't quite fit on your buy box and allows you to capitalize on it. So it allows you to make money on on a property because it doesn't quite work for me, but it could definitely work for Dave, right? Like if, if or for Henry, if I find a cash flowing property it, that he can leave no money in and it might not fit my rental requirements right now because like right now for we're trying to buy bigger apartment properties just for efficiencies not cash flow but for efficiencies only I might pass that on to Henry and it could be a great deal for him because that fits exactly in his buy box of what he's looking to accomplish right now but it doesn't fit in where we can be efficient and so that's not a bad deal I just have to know as a wholesaler what is actually a good deal what is the margins that investors need to pay and it doesn't really matter who's buying it for what we should all be buying around the same margin anyways and so you know by knowing these margins i can pass on a deal and still make it great for everybody and it doesn't cake my resources because i also don't want to just go buy some random deal because it can it can affect my deals in other markets too because i'm being inefficient so most of the reason people people are passing because it doesn't fit in their buy box not because they're being greedy or they're trying to just keep the good ones it's interesting. This the intent always seems so sinister for help helping, right? Like I, 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 and I, and I get it a lot, right? When I was first starting, before we built a brand, before people actually started buying so many houses from us and and winning on the majority of them, that they said, "Wow, these guys actually sell great opportunities," right? But before then, it's always like, "Well, why aren't you doing it yourself? Well, 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 well why aren't you flipping it yourself? It's so good." Well, look again. Let's let's all let's all remember that everybody can do their own due diligence. Everybody can run their own numbers. Everybody can do their own math. Right. And so it's, this isn't about, Hey, I'm, 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 I must be, there must be some hidden motive or some, some agenda that I'm on just because I'm giving you something that you can win on. Does, does it need to be that sinister? Can we not all agree that, Hey, there's, people out there that actually want to see other people win, you know? And I think, again, it goes back to the narrative of what wholesaling is, is that are we here to add value to the marketplace or are we here to extract it? 100% agree. And, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, Dave's question goes back to that age old saying of one man's trash, right? One man's trash is absolutely another man's treasure. So to, to answer your question, Dave, if you get a lead from me, it is 100% something I don't want. Right, <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. That right. doesn't mean it's not something you don't. Doesn't want. mean it's not a good deal. It doesn't mean it's right. not a good opportunity. It just means it's not something that I want to do, and it could be a number of reasons. So James was right. A lot of my decisions are resource based, and so if right now I'm contractor like like deficient, so like. I can't take on a ton of heavy rehabs right now. I don't have the team in place. I lost one of my main crews. And so I may look to assign something that I know I don't have the resources to flip. Maybe you do. Awesome opportunity for you, right? Doesn't mean it's a bad deal. Just means I can't do it right now. It could also mean that 
it doesn't fit my buy box. Maybe your buy box is super awesome duplexes and my buy boxes. I only want single family homes in this one niche neighborhood because I'm doing this one niche strategy and that's my thing. Right. And so now I've come across this duplex. I can't do my thing. Dave loved duplexes. If I send you a duplex that you can make some money on, you'll probably buy it. It doesn't mean it's a bad deal. It just means it's not for me. It's not in my buy box, right? And so, um, but that's the value of building your relationships. That's the value of connecting dots and learning how to solve problems. If you are the wholesaler, it's your job to get out there and know people like, you know, Dave, who wants to buy the duplexes in this super swanky neighborhood in Denver. And then James, who wants to buy the the big distressed uh, properties to flip in the Seattle market. And then Henry, who likes to little rinky dink single families in, in these neighborhoods in Arkansas. Right. And if you know all these things and then you become this master marketer who's just great at generating leads, you know, as soon as the lead comes in. You already know your buyer, right? If you're a good wholesaler, the lead comes in and you're like, oh, this one's for James. Oh, this one's for Dave. This one's for, you know, Henry. And then you've got your, you'll just, you you will know because your job is to understand who the players are on, on, in your sphere and what they like. And you're just, you're just, you're just throwing them, throwing them deals. And if you're, if you're smart and you've built up some capital from these wholesale fees, you should absolutely be picking and choosing the ones that you want, right? And keeping those. That's 100% what you should be doing. So yeah, Dave, that's absolutely what you're getting from me. (laughs) I, I, I totally get that. That makes sense. It's like you have a certain amount of resources and you have to pick the ones that you want. And it goes back to the same thing about like comparing yourself to other people. Like as long as the deal works for me, it shouldn't, I guess, really matter why you don't want it because it works for me. And if it fits in my buy box, that should be good enough. But this does bring up a question I did want to hit on um, for, for part of the show, which is as an investor, like what should I be looking for for in a wholesaler? Like I, as you all know, work full time at Bigger Pockets. I live in Europe. I don't have time personally to go source deals all the time. And so there is appeal to me and I think to a lot of people to work with a wholesaler. If you can find me a deal, I'll, I'll pay you an assignment fee. But I don't know how to vet a wholesaler and to like find the right wholesaler for me. So Jamil, can you tell me a little bit about how I should go about finding people to work with? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it goes back to, you know, first and foremost, do you resonate with this person, right? When you when you first meet somebody, you get a vibe of, you know, how do they communicate? Are they responsive? Do they answer their phone? Do they respond to text messages? Do they look like there's somebody that's on top of it? I can, I've bought a lot of deals from a lot of wholesalers, and I can tell you that a lot of them are not on top of it. They don't respond. They're, they ghost you. All kinds of craziness happens, right? And so like anything else, like any other relationship you want to see, fundamentally, are you just uh, on top of it human being? Great. Next, I want to start asking them questions, right? I want to find out from them, what are your main lead sources? Like, how are you, how are you doing lead generation? Are they mainly working with other wholesalers? Then if I know that, oh, wow, you mainly work with other wholesalers, there's very likely going to be multiple assignments on this deal. So I might not be buying as deeply as I might want to. Not saying it's not going to be a good deal. I'm just saying I know there's going to be layers of people on it. 
The next thing I'd want to find out is, okay, what do you specialize in? Are you looking at small multifamily? Do you mainly go after single family? Do you mainly focus in these neighborhoods? Do you mainly focus in luxury? I want to get an understanding of your wheelhouse. Like what's your expertise? And then beyond that, I want to find out how you do business, right? Are you handling a transaction from start to finish? Do you have transaction coordinators on your team? Am I am I going to get wiring instructions from you right away? When I ask you questions like what's access, am I responded to immediately? When I'm at, when I ask you a question, what's close of escrow and what title company are you with? Does it take you 6 hours to get me that information? These are all signals. These are all signals to what's going to happen further down the deal. Right? And so that's how I'm going to be vetting somebody initially, right? Because again, how you are at one thing is how you're going to be at everything. And so immediately, if I find that you're not on top of it, I immediately don't get transparent answers, then I'm going to have my guard up. I'm going to feel like I don't think I'm working with somebody that might be giving me all the details or all the information that I need. But after that, you've just got to rely on yourself, right? Again, you are the person that's doing the due diligence based off numbers. You got to be proficient at running your your valuations on how much a rehab is going to be or what your rental rates are going to be. You're going to, you're going to need to know that. And so if, again, you're buying something at a price that makes sense for you and you've seen the information that you need to do your due diligence, at that point now, you've just got to trust and hope that this deal is going to go the way it needs to. And that's the reason why we have title companies. That's why we have escrow. That's why we have closing attorneys. Because they're going to make sure that the title is clear. They're going to make sure your earnest money is protected. They're going to make sure that the things that need to happen to protect you throughout the rest of the transaction are going to be taken care of. That's what they're being paid for. But beyond that, that's your job. You got. You just. You got to. You got to play in it. You got. And you got to trust that everybody's going to do their piece. That's that. This is what society is, right? If I go and I and I place an order for something, I trust the person on the other side of that order is going to fulfill it. I don't, and you think about like just how we feed ourselves, right? Like I, I place an order on my phone. This is food I'm putting in my body. It keeps me alive, right? Do I know the person on the other end of that? Wash their hands after they use the restroom? I don't. I trust that everybody in our transactions in life are doing the things they're supposed to do in order to keep society moving. And I'm going to think the same way of my real estate agent. I'm going to think the same way of the wholesaler. I'm going to think the same way of the escrow company until I'm proven wrong. And you always want to also dig into their paperwork a little bit. You know, for me, I don't really interview wholesalers. I kind of set the tone and let them know what my box is. Because at the end of the day, wholesalers are not broker. They're not offering me a service. They're not working for me or getting paid to do a service. They're providing additional opportunities. It's up to me as an investor to explain to them what my buy box is, what my terms for closing is, and then find out what kind of contracts and what their terms for closing are. Because for me, I don't really care how they're marketing for things, what kind of deals they're looking for. I want to know what's the process when they finally send me that 20th deal. Because a lot of times I got to look at 20, 30 deals from one individual wholesaler before we actually pull the trigger on it. But when I do pull the trigger and it is a great opportunity, I want to get that locked down right away. So those are the things that I'm talking about more with wholesalers. Like they can market whatever which way they want. I'm going to tell them what I want to buy. As it comes through, how do I lock that deal down? Because you have, if it is that great buy, you got to lock it down very, very quickly. But 
and then the other reason I want to know about their paperwork is because if you're being assigned their paperwork, you are going off of their contractual agreements. If they have weak paperwork, if it's shady, if they didn't do the proper disclosures, you know, like in Washington State, we have a distressed homeowner law, and that needs to be in every contract in 16-point font on a separate addendum. If someone is wholesaling a distressed homeowner to us, and they do not have that clause in there, that is not a binding contract at that point. And then I'm now getting their, their their signed contract over with me, and it's not legally binding. And so you do want to know what kind of paperwork they operate on, what kind of agreements they have. And then also, if you are a little, you know, I, I will say I have met some very shady characters in this space, but they're shady characters in every space. Uh, probably broker space, I've seen the shadiest. But... You, you always want to make sure that you have your own disclosure too in release. So when we do wholesale deals, the wholesalers giving me a disclosure and a release disclaimer saying, hey, I'm releasing the liability from them, but I'm also putting back on what their responsibility is, what how who they're communicating with and what their responsibility in the deal was. And so in case anything goes bad, they're covered and I'm covered at the same time. So know your paperwork. I think there's a huge mistake that a lot of people make is they rush to get that deal, they get it assigned, and all of a sudden they've been assigned a mess or a contract term that they didn't quite understand. Awesome. Jamil, James, I totally agree with you. I think you do need to be asking questions of the wholesaler you're working with, because at the end of the day, you're going to be taking over their contract. So you want to make sure the contract is great and you want to make sure they're ethical people, people that you want to be contractually tied to a deal with. And so I talk to students about this all the time. And so I actually have a list of questions that you can ask wholesalers. And so uh, maybe we can put something together for everybody. All right. With all of those amazing points that Jamil, Henry, and James just said, we actually have a incredible data drop coming at you, courtesy of these three. We are going to put together a master list of questions that you should be, that you can ask any wholesalers you are thinking about working with. And as a wholesaler, you should be prepared to answer to any investors who you might want to work with as well. So thank you to Henry, Jamil, and James for putting that together for all of our listeners. All right, before we get out of here or actually move to our crowdsource section, are there any last words any of you have for our audience that they should know about wholesaling? I think right now, as if you're getting in the wholesale market, you just want to spend a lot of time understanding what's going on, what investors buy at, and then build around that rather than going out and just looking for property. Talk to buyers, find out what they want to buy, build your business around that. For me, I think it's really important that you fall in love with the model. I love wholesaling. I love real estate. I love seeing the difference between a fully remodeled house and the house in its original form when it when it needs help and love. Right? Get obsessed with this. Really enjoy what you're doing and be prideful that what you're doing in the marketplace is actually a value and people need you. Operate in full transparency. If you feel like you have to hide something, then there's probably a better way that you could do that thing. So be able to tell everyone the truth and make money and you're probably going to be doing it right. I love it. All of you bringing ethics and morality to wholesaling. Not that the majority of wholesalers are not unethical, but it is nice to hear from all of you how it can be done in a value add way. We are going to move on to our crowdsource, but first let's take a quick break. All right, for today's crowdsource section, our producer, Kaylin, has put us up to something. She 
has asked us to play Investor Truth or Dare. I am a, a little nervous. <laughs> I'm going to just keep picking on Jamil. Jamil, yeah. first, Truth or Dare? Uh, let's go Truth. Okay. What is the grossest or worst thing you've seen when touring a house? Oh, my gosh. So I was talking to a physician and uh yes he was like had a uh, he was a gp and needed to sell two properties and he was meeting me at the house so i go there it was at the end of his day and i pull up into it's a really nice part of phoenix i pull up into his driveway and as we're walking from the driveway to the back of the house he says i'm really sorry i didn't have an opportunity to clean up because i just finished my day and and your timing and my uh, day ending just matched up so come on in and we go into this house and i'm in shock at what i'm seeing because all it is is bags of used toilet paper what bags and bags and bags and bags and bags and bags and bags of collected used toilet paper up and down the hallways of the house, in every room of the house, in the bathrooms, in the kitchen. This man, who was a physician, collected, used his own used toilet paper, and then thought that there was a way that he could have cleaned it up before I got there. Yeah, just With, a casual it, cleanup. Bad. Casual cleanup. It was the craziest thing. It actually made me second guess the entire medical system because I realized <laughs> that this person it was had just been giving people medical advice before I went to his feces filled property. So get a second opinion. <laughs> I, I have so many questions. Well, actually, I have a friend who's a doctor and she graduated medical school and I asked her, what's the most important thing you learned in medical school? And she said, get a second opinion. Some of my classmates <laughs> were idiots. <laughs> but wait, how how were they clear bags? I have a lot of questions. Well, yeah, it was just like, so it was like, it was like grocery bags, like the, the, oh. bags. so, so it was all just coming out. Like they were full, they were full. And, oh, they were and closed? I would, some of them were tied. Some of them were okay. open. It was, it was just, it was like a horror movie, right? It was, and, and you literally couldn't not see it. It was everywhere. They were everywhere and they were piled on top of each other. The home smelled so badly. It was, it, I mean, it was insane. Did, wait, but did you buy, did you buy it? <laughs> I didn't actually what? buy it. James and James would have bought it. He would have negotiated that down. <laughs> I should have. I should have. I should have. I should have put it under contract. But a, a competitor of mine actually did, and I and I saw that they ended up making like thirty or forty thousand dollars assigning it to somebody. So, you know, one man's poop. So it so it wasn't a crappy deal. <laughs> can, we, right. can we get a rim shot all right. yeah <laughs> all right jamil ask ask someone else now pass it along okay henry truth or dare <laughs> truth that's an easy one for me truth okay um what is the worst deal you've ever been a part of oh man the worst deal i've ever been a part of so uh, I've been pretty fortunate on the flip side to not have been a part of any like crazy losing deals. Um, so let's see, I bought a house, uh, as a flip that, um, 
I thought I could make a quick buck on. And, you know, sometimes when you when you, you think it's too good to be true, it probably is. And so I got a call from a seller who had a house that they had just struggled selling. And their, the reason they had struggled selling it is because their agent just sucked. Like, the pictures were terrible. They didn't do any follow-up. Like, it was just an agent trying to make a, you know, trying to make an easy commission on doing the least amount of work. And But the house was a really nice house. And it was in a part of this area where a lot of people retire to. And so I was like, cool, I'll just snag this property at a decent price and then I will stage it. I have a rock star agent and he'll be able to get it sold and I'll make a whole bunch of money and it's going to be awesome. And so I didn't do the proper due diligence. And so this house was a multi-level house. And so lots of stairs and the backyard was super sloped. And so what I realized after I bought it was that the most of the elderly people who live in this community didn't want to have to, like it was laid out in a way where you couldn't enjoy the benefits of the full house without having to go up. It's not like there was only a bonus room downstairs. Like to use the house properly, you had to go up and down the stairs every day. And so most of the older demographic didn't want to buy that house. And most of the younger demographic who had kids didn't want to buy that house because the backyard wasn't usable and it was super sloped. And so there was no yard for the kids to play in. And so even though I bought it and I staged it and it looked way more desirable, I got lots and lots of looks. I couldn't get anybody to buy this thing. And it sat on the market and we dropped the price and it sat on the market and we dropped the price and it sat on the market and we dropped the price. And I ended up finally selling it for, um, For on paper, what looks like a profit, but by the time you counted my holding costs and my fees and my commissions, I lost, I don't know, not a ton of money, 10 grand maybe, but um, it was a lesson for me in like, don't get too greedy and don't think that like you can just ease your way into making money. If it was that easy to make money flipping houses, everybody would be flipping houses. And so I kind of, I lost my fundamentals on that deal and it cost me some money and a whole lot of headache. And I know 10 grand's not a ton of money in the grand scheme of flipping houses, but we got to remind you, I was only about a year into the game at this point. And so 10 grand was a lot of money at that point. So I was, uh, that one, that one, uh, wasn't my fave. And so, but Lessons learned. Haven't made that mistake again. Do, do my due diligence every time. All right. My turn. Dave, truth or dare? Oh, I guess dare. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, no. So, <laughs> so, Dave, I want you to invest a hundred dollars into the most random investment. So let's see. <laughs> let's see. Oh, that's great. You get to pick. Okay. So you can invest $10 into the wild commodity of wine. Ooh. Okay. Or you can invest, I'm sorry, not $10, $100. Or you can invest $100 into water and so water as a commodity is that a thing yeah how do you do that yeah you can invest in water right water is a commodity um and so 
you, my friend, can now choose between water or wine. Well, I mean, that's easy, right? Wine? Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Basic necessity. I don't know which one's a better investment, but I know which one I would rather own, which is wine. So I'm taking wine. Well, they say say you should invest in things you understand. And so you're simply saying you know more about wine than water. I don't know what that says about you as a person, but... We will, so you have to invest $100 into wine as a commodity, and then you have to give us a follow-up on how your investment is doing later on. Okay, accepted. I like this a lot. I will figure out how to do this, and I will report back. And you got to figure out how to turn water into wine, and then you're you, then you're there. <laughs> oh, I could combine them. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> All right, I think for the last one, James, truth or dare? Let's uh, let's do a dare, Dave. What do you got for me? Oh, good. Well, I was hoping you would say this because when you were James, for everyone listening, had to go off camera, and Henry, Jamil, and I decided that you should have to jump off your boat right now while screaming the most amount of money that you've ever made on a single real estate deal at the same time. Yeah, I do you scream accept? It. Scre- I, I, well, you, what you can't not accept the dare, correct? Like, I mean, what ha- what's the alternative? Actually, what even happens if you don't accept the dare? You're fired from the podcast. Yeah, no, no, I'm in. I'm in. I'm definitely We're not in. Friends. <laughs> I just want to see James's boat neighbors. He's just screaming at <laughs> yeah, dollars. It's going to get awkward. So, so what are we doing with this? We're, Good. All right. So we got to jump off the. All right. You, all right. He's any moving. any requests for for backflip dive? Actually, straight dive. That's probably a good thing. Oh wow! You're gonna you're, yeah, just straight dive. Don't hurt yourself. Yeah, we could all rate his dives. I mean, look at this guy. His podcast studio Dang. is. A, this is this is I, I will say. Man. If you're all listening to this, you should be watching this on YouTube because you can see how sweet all this right. boat is. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> I figure out the best place to jump off without hurt myself. Where are you, by the way? Can you do a little travel a little travel show intro for us? Yeah, we're in Catalina Island. We're off the coast of yeah. California. It goes with the wine. The freaking Catalina wine mixer. Oh yeah. Yeah, the Catalina wine mixer. It's wine for me to invest in. <laughs> We're doing this. All right. Well, I got to take my earphones out. All right. Well, I'll just say bye, James, because I guess this is the last time we'll see you on this podcast. So thanks for joining us. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Uh... Let's hear that number. All right. Million dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well done. Well done. Damn, a million dollars on a single deal. Very nice dive. Perfectly executed. All right. Well, Jamil, Henry, this was a lot of fun. It was a little disorganized, but we had a great time. Always fun hanging out with you guys and honestly learned a ton about wholesaling. This was a really cool conversation. Oh, he's back. (laughs) Hey, James, bravo. We were just complimenting. You're awesome, bro. Excellent form. You're the best, James. We love you. Thank you, sir. That was amazing. That was great, dude. One time cleared six figures. So, wow, that's unbelievable. We'll have to hear about that in the next show. You can go towel off. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. We will see you all next time for another episode that will be hopefully just as weird as this one. (laughs) (laughs) On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. And a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. 
content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.